Hey there. Welcome to Sobertown Podcast. I want to invite you to visit the wonderful world of sobriety. You can visit our website, which is SobertownPodcast.com. This is where you can find sober tools for your sober toolbox, such as Todd's blog on how to successfully manage alcohol triggers and cravings. We also post the Rewired Podcast and the schedule for Zooms. This is where you can find all these beautiful recovery stories that we all share from our heart of our hero's journey. We also have a Facebook community, Sobertown Facebook. I want to introduce myself. My name is Viv. Some of you know me as Sober I Thrive on the I Am Sober app, which we warmly know as IAS. The I Am Sober app is a daily counter that you can download in your app store. It's easy. It's free. And that's where we all met and we contribute to SobertownPodcast.com. On there, there's a community button where we can create community and connection. In addition, I'm a sober recovery coach certified in Roots of Addiction, the joys of sober recovery, and the neuroscience of addiction. I'm also a certified life coach. All you have to do to take advantage of a complimentary call with me for 30 minutes is send me your email. And you can send this email to viv at soberithrive.org. All it takes to change your life is to take the first step and schedule your confidential, complimentary call. Everyone needs a sober cheerleader. And with the SoberTownPodcast.com, we can help create the sober warrior within you. Good morning, ladies. I have women in recovery or women in rediscovery. This is a series that I wanted to put together for women of empowerment and how we advocate for ourselves in our sober journey. I hope that this series helps each and every one of you resonate and helps you each and every day as you walk your sober journey. This is a few women from the I Am Sober app, and we are here with our vulnerability to help each and every one of you walk in your day. Welcome, Ashley. Ash is here from IAS. Thank you. Happy to be here. And we have Alyssa, which is Resilient Mama. What's up, ladies? And we have Michael, which is MMC13. Good morning, everyone. We are talking about the joy in recovery. When we were speaking before we started recording about each and every one of our journeys, my journey into sobriety, I had no idea that there would be joy in sobriety. I just thought that being sober was it and there was nothing else past that. I just didn't know how to discover this walk in life and how I could grow, how I could grow in joy. The only joy that I knew was at the bottom of a bottle. And once that wasn't attainable, well, to be honest with you, to be in a drunken stupor 24 hours a day and killing myself on a daily basis was not feasible for the life that I wanted to lead and the legacy for my children. That 
started the quest for the joy and sobriety. So thank you, ladies, for your vulnerability, for your bravery, for being so courageous and coming on here today. Definitely a pleasure to be here. Yes, yes. I don't know. Michael, let's start with you. What does joy and sobriety, joy in rediscovery mean to you? I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, how intimidating it is in the early days to have all that free time suddenly that you're used to filling with drinking. And I think that fear, because I knew I couldn't just sit there and be uncomfortable, um, drove me to actually find things to fill my time that I wouldn't have otherwise. It was this strange twist of being stir crazy and uncomfortable to the point that it drove me to have to find something. And it turned out to be something I enjoyed. So the first holiday season that I was sober, I had the week between Christmas and New Year's off. I had like 10 days off, I think. And I, I was just terrified, you know. And so I just tackled this massive home improvement project in that time. The house I was in at the time was fully carpeted, but it had hardwood floors underneath. And so I went through and I pulled out the carpets out of the entire house and refinished the floors under them. And it was just this ridiculously massive undertaking. But, you know, it left me exhausted. It left me, you know, collapsing into bed at the end of the day, zero energy left to do anything else. And I came out with this beautiful finished product that I was so proud of. And I was able to see, you know, like, oh, my God, I accomplished this. So to be able to find that thing that fuels your your ability to feel good about uh, creating something, that's definitely something that I found that's brought me a lot of joy. I think that's really beautiful because so much time that we and I, I'm just speaking about my journey, but that we spent on the couch myself. And I wasn't creating anything. So now, yeah, absolutely right to say, I am going to paint that wall. I am going to do this endeavor. I think that that's really uh, just amazing to have that. Ashley, any any thoughts? What brings you joy in sobriety? I relate to a lot of what Michael just said. As a teacher, I have a lot of breaks from school. And that was something that was super daunting to me in my recovery. And like Michael, I had to find how I was going to fill that time. So in the beginning, it was a lot of walking. And through walking, it became hiking and discovering that being out in the natural world, whether it's in the forest, hiking a mountain, was something that was very spiritual for me and very helpful to my recovery. Um, So now it's very important that I implement that. And oftentimes, too, when I feel myself slipping and I'm starting not to feel so great, I think about, have I gotten outside lately? And usually the answer to that is no, if I'm not feeling very great. So I'm coming off of kind of a hard week now, and I haven't been outside all week. So this weekend's going to be all about getting back outdoors and feeling good again. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, what would you say to somebody that says that the weather isn't permitting or that it's too cold outside, what would you recommend? Go outside anyways. (laughs) I remember, I think it was when I was first on IAS, I was complaining actually about it being rainy out. And at that point, my walks were so helpful to me. I was walking about five miles a day. Um, And I wrote about that on IAS and someone was like, bring an umbrella. (laughs) And I was like, touche. I can still do my walk. So I still got out there that day and I did it anyways. 
You know what? That's really interesting because when I first started in sobriety, that was one of the things that my sober coach recommended. She said, I don't care if you're working out or not, you get dressed and you go out and work out and, and pretend. And I was like, well, what if it's raining? Because it was kind of raining season. She goes, well, aren't you waterproof? Not going to melt. <laughs> so there's a lot to be said for that, you know, nature helping us out with that dopamine, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, this go around back in February, I was hiking almost every day and in the snow, in the cold. You just bundle up and get out there. Alyssa, resilient mama. Yeah. Take someone that is beginning their journey. What's worked for you? And what what advice can you offer? And, uh, well, beginning of the journey for me was full of anxiety, I think. When Michael was talking about all that free time, it was really 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. every single day was filled with, just like you said, sitting on the couch drinking. And now all of a sudden it's like those six, seven hours and the evening started approaching and my anxiety shot up through the roof. And I just kept myself extremely busy. Like Ashley said, I was going for walks. My boyfriend would make fun of me. He's like, I've never seen you vacuum this much the entire time that I've known you. And now all of a sudden you're like a vacuuming maniac, like just things down and cleaning, just keeping my body busy because I knew that if I stopped like those cravings and that habit would kind of kick back in. I just kind of started the journey because I was fearful of my health at that point. But when we're talking about finding joy, I had no idea that being sober would help with my anxiety and depression. I knew it was a downer and it would bring you down, but my anxiety was almost debilitating at that point. So you know, I'm only about, I'm not going to say only because it's a you know big number for me, but 56 days today and handle anything that's thrown my way where before I would be like paralyzed with anxiety. And now it's just, I feel like I have control at point of my journey. It's like, I don't know if I have that ever reaching joy yet, but I, I'm graceful and joyous. I anxiety is under control now. I mean, it's a huge change in life for me. Yeah. It's interesting how we don't put the two and two together. Michael, yeah. something. Go I was going to say, I, I love, I love that you brought that point up because I think so many of us were drinking because of anxiety. So we're drinking to fight the anxiety. And then yep. the actual neuroscience of this is that even if you just take one drink, right? One drink, uh, it might take the edge off a little bit, but when that gets out of your system, you actually end up lower with more anxiety than you had when you started. So then you take the drink and it maybe gets you back to where you were before you ever drank. But every time that alcohol comes out of your system, your anxiety is worse. You're getting further down on the chain. And it's this self-seeming cycle where we're actually creating anxiety by drinking and not even returning to baseline that we would normally have without having drank in the first place. Yeah, it's frustrating and it's not more widely known. But then again, the information's out there. But when I was drinking, was I Googling how does alcohol impact my body? No, I was not. Right. I nope. just, it should be, I don't know, maybe when kids are school age, right? Like or high school, like teaching the dangers of alcohol, but what it does to your brain and your spirit too, not just like the physical impacts. Oh, definitely. I think what you're saying is, so right on point because in that that four to six hour that you're talking about, usually it's called the witching hour. 
because we ritualize everything. We ritualize drinking. So by the same token, we can use our weaknesses towards our strength. How we ritualize our drinking, now we can ritualize self-care. That's one of the things of empowerment is to, I did this, but what's the counterbalance of, of this? For every dark side, there is a light side. And that's that's part of, you know, like we talk about finding the joy. Basically, in the beginning, we're just trying to get sober. And that is not so joyous at times. But we can find it as we you walk each and every step. And one of the other things that I wanted to bring into Joy of Sobriety that I haven't touched on is invest in relationships. Healthy relationships, camaraderie, it allows you to speak your truth and blossom. Ashley, if you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, I really struggled in the beginning because my husband is in recovery too. And he was still drinking back in January of last year when I was really pushing to be sober. So that took a lot of boundary setting. We actually met with a family therapist that helped us set some healthy boundaries. The hardest part of that was definitely the following through. So I had to lean on my my sober crew <laughs> when that happened because it's really hard when you're in a relationship that was very codependent to stick to your boundaries. So that was hard. And we did that for a while. After a month, me staying strong made my husband realize some things with his drinking. And then the rest is kind of history. He's doing great in his recovery now, but I really needed to realize that my recovery was separate from his before I would be successful because we struggled. We started trying to be sober in 2019 and it was a big struggle until we finally separated the two. Isn't that incredible? It is. I think we could probably do a whole episode on boundaries, too, because that was the name of the game for me in the beginning. The reason I wanted to bring that up is the healthy relationships and the camaraderie. Most of us are on Telegram or all of us are on Telegram. And we have formed a sober crew, like you call it. And it's just it's something that is organic, but it's surrounding yourself with other people that are like-minded. We all come from different walks of life. And it's such a beautiful thing because then there's the no judgment zone. Only someone that is walking this journey. I wanted my husband, my kids, my mom to understand where I was at in sobriety. I wanted them to understand that once I took one drink, it was no longer me. And as much as I wanted to grind that in them, there if I took that one drink, they were like, well, why can't you stop at one? But when I came into the I Am Sober app and when I came into Telegram, it was more of we get you. The Zooms, we get you. We understand you. And when we feel loved and supported and understood, then that's when we're allowed to be empowered and have strength because we can't flourish alone. Yeah. I remember in the very beginning, I would tell my friends like, hey, I got two weeks sober. And they're like, oh, you really understand like what this has been like for me? And then I'll share with the sober crew. Hey, I hit two weeks and it's like celebration, joy and hell yeah, we got your back. And 
it's just night and day. So you're absolutely right. I think I had a first little stint of giving this a go and I did not have the the Telegram group of ladies backing me up. But this time I have that and I feel invincible, really. So I think that's key. There's not a lot of sober people out there. So to like get everyone together from across the country and even the world on some of those Zoom calls that we have, it's really awesome to feel people are in your corner. Yeah, I think the celebrations of where you were at on the Zooms, whether it was two days or two years, the celebration was all the same. So that's something that really was motivating to me. I knew if I got on a Zoom, there'd be people cheering me on no matter what I was going through. Yeah, I agree with each and every one of you what you said. And I thought to myself, let me see if I'm going to read these, the joy and recovery and the neuroscience. So I'm going to read them and you ladies give me your takes on them. Okay. All right. So step one, joy and recovery. Take time to reflect on how far we've come. Reflect thankful for where we are and look forward to the future. Yeah, I think when you hang around these rooms, when you go to the Zooms, just like Ashley was saying, you're going to get cheered for if you're on day one or day 1000, because every single step in this journey is a win. Every day, every minute that you fight to, to stay sober is something that should be celebrated. One of the valuable insights that I've heard that has stuck with me is like, you know, you showing up on day 10 is inspiration to the person who's on day one. You showing up at 10 years is inspiration to the person who's struggling at one year. If you look back on where you've come from to where you are today, and then you continue to learn from those who are further along in this thing than you are, it's absolutely an implemental tool for success. Definitely. I think awareness. There's a lot to be said for awareness. This journey when we have not only the days under us, but the awareness to be like, I wanted to get sober or I want to get sober. That awareness alone is a win. I don't know about each one of you, but I was Googling and WebMDing, am I an alcoholic? Do I have a problem? And when we come into awareness, it's already a win. Absolutely. Yeah, I just to kind of reflect on like how far are you been versus where you are, uh, I had even just asked Michael, like, how far are you in your journey? And she said, well, I've been doing this for X amount of years. And I love that approach is that because, you know, relapses is a part of recovery, right? And so as an overachiever in my brain, like, oh, well, I'm only at this point. I only have 56 days. Well, wait a second. I started my journey five months ago. So that's gross. And then I counted, well, over those five months, how many days was I sober versus how many days did I actually drink? And it would have been, whether it's like 200 days, I would have drank 200 out of 200. So Less. even if I have progress there, that was something to focus in on. So, you know, I'm, I'm extremely competitive, right? So I'm going to beat my record for last time and get through all of that. But it's trying to see the bigger picture of where we all are at. But also it was encouraging to hear from everybody when they do have a relapse and come back and show up. And I remember like when I had my little stint there, I was still showing up on Zoom calls, but I was still drinking. And I was like, no, but I want to be here. Just like you said, that awareness. And it was about three weeks of me showing up on these calls that I was still drinking. It was like, I need to get this back, but I don't feel it yet. And all of a sudden it hit. 
and it feels different this time. So you're right, just kind of committing to the journey in the good and the bad and showing up every day for yourself. Beautiful. Really beautiful. All right. Number two, spend time pursuing joy and identify more of it. Pursue hobbies, develop interests, discover your passion. This will lead to fulfillment and well-being. Ashley, do you want to take this one? Sure. I think we touched on this a little bit already, but I find the discovery process, finding out what my likes and dislikes are, because I really didn't know when I started getting sober because my activity was drinking, like everything revolved around drinking. So I really didn't have any interests anymore. So some of that was going back to things that I used to like, like hiking, skiing again, and exploring that. And some of it is discovering new things. And at a year, I still feel like I'm learning who I am. <laughs> I think we never stop peeling that onion. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. That's a great yeah. thing. As, you know what? When I was 13, I liked one thing. Now that I'm 51, I'm to like something totally right it's evolution at its finest i saw someone recently it might have been our mutual friend but i think it was her that posted on ias that the process of discovering ourselves is way more exciting than ever going back to a drink and i thought that was so beautiful because it is more exciting to me now i like where i'm at now and i want to continue this journey and see where it takes me I think that's amazing. Amazing. Okay, we're going to go on to the hooey stuff. Focusing gratitude by intentionally focusing on the positive things in life rather than the negative, we can maintain a healthy perspective. What this looks like is a gratitude journal, perhaps affirmations, vocalizing it in the morning and or refocusing our mindset. Yeah, I absolutely love this. And I've taken a few psych courses through my college career, and they will tell you in those that the brain is a very literal creature. The brain believes what you tell it. So if you are telling yourself, I'm worthless and I can't do anything right, your brain believes you. So yeah, it might feel a little hokey to stand in front of the mirror and say, I am good and I am smart and I am strong and I am beautiful. But your poor little brain needs to be boosted up. You, it needs to hear good things. Really good at being advocates for the people that we love around us and then turning around and being very self-critical of ourselves. And it's another way that this community has just helped tremendously because I get reminded over and over again to be gentle with myself, you know, even in the same breath that I'm giving someone advice to be kind to themselves and, you know, beating my little old brain over the head. There's an exercise that has always stuck with me from one of those psych classes where he says, if you take a pencil or a pen, when you're feeling upset and you put it in your mouth lengthwise, and it forces the corners of your cheeks up in the shape of a smile, it will actually trigger your brain to feel happier because just the physical action of faking a smile, not even feeling the feeling behind it, your brain believes that you are happy. Wow. Awesome. Yep, absolutely. So yeah, we got to look out for our little brains and what we're telling them. Yeah. Recently, I thought about things like that when I was looking at 
certain things that that I'm doing now spending wise that like more money that is left <laughs> not from drinking anymore. So there's a little bit more of a pool of money and being able to self-indulge in self-care and stuff like that that we also have. And the reason I bring this up is because there was no self-care in drinking. I think that self-care is overlooked. I think once we have our finances, it adds to the practice of gratitude. Not only do I see a lot of this, I press hard for it. When we practice gratitude, just like you talked about, Michael, and forcing a smile, I think so many times we want to reach for outside of ourselves in gratitude. So we'll be grateful for our family and we'll be grateful for, you know, our whatever it is. But I don't take the time until I've made a conscious effort of it to practice gratitude for myself, for my body that has held me till this point. For me, in the beginning, the affirmations and the gratitude was almost impossible to wrap my brain around. I was so much in the victim mentality and depressed and anxious and just kind of hiding in my own little dark hole. And everyone kept talking about affirmations and gratitude. And I'm like, that's just foo-foo. It's not not for me. It's not the way my brain works. Give me facts. And just like Michael was saying, once I realized that there is an actual physical chemical thing that happens to your brain when you do those things. So it is facts. It is real. Not just foo-foo. <laughs> the one day I caught myself, it was like, I did everything on my to-do list that day. as a single mom, working, taking care of everybody. And at the end of the day, I was like, great job, Alyssa. I heard my, and I was like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and then it was like this big aha moment for me, which was funny. But the other piece of this that really kind of resonated with me and helped me wrap my brain around it was learning. Like as a, as a mother, I'm always giving a hundred, a hundred percent of myself to my daughter and never anything to myself. And kind of, again, what Michael was saying, how would I speak to my daughter? If she was struggling or made a bad decision or didn't give enough that day, whatever the case was, how would I verbalize that to her? And when somebody says, well, why can't you mother yourself? It really resonated with me and that my mom, if I ever talked bad about myself, like, oh, I'm so stupid. She would say, don't you talk about my daughter that way. And then it kind of like resonated that I need to protect myself in that same capacity and respect myself. So that's kind of been something that really sunk in with me. Beautiful. So true. I wanted to also touch on, and I think you ladies had touched on this before, progress, not perfection, awareness, growing and changing. Yeah, I, I think I still get frustrated with myself sometimes and think that my growth should be at a certain point and it's not. And I still beat myself up, but I'm a work in progress. Like I'm never going to be perfect and I'm always going to be working on things and that's okay. I think journaling helps me a lot with that. The journal I have, I have a little gratitude section. I celebrate what went well that week, what didn't go so well and kind of regroup. And I think that's, that's kind of what it's about. Just seeing where you're at and regrouping when you have to. And yeah, we're never going to be perfect. <laughs> and that's okay. Michael, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think 
As we start to get the initial alcohol out of the system and things start to normalize a bit at that point, I think we feel the pressure a lot of times to just fix everything then right? Okay, I've stopped drinking. I need to lose 20 pounds. I need to get more money in the savings account. I need to, and it just, you know, you just want to fix it all, all at once. And, and of course it's unrealistic, but it feels so good to have this accomplishment that you want to follow it with other accomplishments, you know, and that's, that's an excellent goal, but absolutely trying to stay grounded in the moment and take small steps and be gentle in all those areas. Because I think many of us have tried and failed at healthy eating habits and things alongside quitting drinking. I think you almost start to lose focus on how hard the quitting drinking in the first place was as you start setting these additional goals. And some patience in that whole period is important. And yeah, it's it's all about progress. It's all forward progress. And again, it, it circles back to the Looking at the big picture for me, where the drinking over the years is considered, that's something that I found a lot of acceptance in this community about is honor all that time. You know, you're not going back to day zero. You're not losing all the work you've done before this. Recovery is not a linear path and that's okay. But yeah, just keep making that forward progress. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Before I came to IAS, even the idea of becoming sober, I did the dry Januaries. I did the sober October and it was my way of, of actually trying to get sober without really saying I'm trying to get sober. You know, I was doing sober experiments. I would call them the dry Januaries and I wouldn't get to 30 days. My maximum of four years of trying was 27 days max. And now I know that they were relapses. Neuroscience says look at it as we're collecting data. And I don't even like that the word failing forward, because it is just forward. We're forward motion. We're collecting data. This is where, you know, what I didn't like about this. This is where the misstep was in that, you know, and so if we can collect data, it's always forward motion and neuroscience and science says, psychology says that the more that we are in the sober journey, we will become sober. There will okay. be your freedom. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think the more sober time that you have, the more proof you have that a sober life is better than your drunk life. At least for me, mine was awful. <laughs> so once I was getting to like two months three months and then relapsing when I be in that relapse I was like oh my gosh like I want to get back to where I was when I was walking every day and I was not anxious every single morning when I woke up and my anxiety was decreasing because for a while during the times that I relapsed my anxiety would get so bad that I couldn't even drive my car um, I had like a severe fear of driving my car so during those times, I, I just wanted to get back to that sober time where it felt good again. And some would say early on, recovery will fuck up your drinking. <laughs> and it's true. Like once you've tasted it, once you've experienced like willingly and personally chosen not to drink and experienced that, you're always going to know from that point going forward that there's another way to live. It makes it really hard to turn on those, those blinders back on and go back to, you know, mindlessly drinking when you've experienced that other way. That you're right. 
Right. If I'm referring back to Viv when you said collecting data points, I think that my first relapse situation was exactly that. I felt like if I could compare sobriety, early sobriety to being uh, an obnoxious, know-it-all teenager, that's what I felt like. Like, you guys are telling me I can't just have one drink. Well, screw you. I'm going to go have that one drink because I know I can do it. And I did that. And then three weeks later of every day drinking, it was like, well, okay, maybe mom was right. Maybe, yes, but it was almost like you hear these things, but you need to feel it. You need to live it. And I think that's why these relapses are so important to learn from. But you're right. Like when I was in there and I was drinking, I was miserable. Every time I poured a glass, it's like, I don't want to be here. Every time I walked into the liquor store, it was like I was in my stomach. I quit. It was almost like someone referred to it as like a zombie state. Like, you know, you shouldn't be here and you're not doing this, but your body's doing something you don't want it to. And it was a living hell, to be honest. So it was a very scary situation to be in where your mind and body are doing two different things. So I never want to be back there. But again, I learned a lot through going through that just that one time. So that was huge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can relate to that. Like thinking I can do one and then that 27 days. And then after having that first drink, I was like, yep. okay, first day I had one glass of wine. The second day I had two glasses of wine. Then third day I had two bottles of wine. And I was like, oh my God, off to the races. So it is, it is collecting data. And when the realization that nobody was pointing the finger, it was me, Mario. You know, nobody was pointing to me. I was like, oh God, okay, I really need to look at this. But it felt like a cork being held underwater every time I held that not drinking and trying to, as Ashley put it so eloquently, looking for that third door. Yep. <laughs> I definitely fooled myself for a while thinking that I could moderate. And like you, it would be like, two days maybe that I was actually moderating and then it'd be just back to the same. <laughs> In conclusion, ladies, I, I think that us talking about these, these very beautiful points that we can all agree upon, there is joy in sobriety. And like we said, once you know, you know, you can't unknow what you know. So each and every one of us, I would like for us to give some words of I don't know if we want to call it words of wisdom, but words of where we've been to somebody that's on their day zero. What would be the words of encouragement that you would want to give that person? I know I'm putting everybody on the spot, but I find that, you know what, this is when a lot of beautiful and magical words happen. So, Michael, I think the best advice I can give is just keep trying. You know, I have had many missteps over the years. I've had many starts and stops. Stay plugged into a community that gets you, you know, because like we talked about early on, having the understanding of other people who have been where you are makes a massive difference. And just understand that you're you're collecting data, you're learning and use those those slips and those resets to maybe next time make different choices, recognize your patterns and don't give up. Beautiful. Thank you. Ashley. I'm going to say the same thing. You just keep trying. You don't give up. I think it was in my podcast episode that we did on my story that I said, I told the story of one of my recovery advisors who was going to rehab for the fifth 
fifth time. And her mom asked, how many times are we going to do this? And she said, however many times it takes. And I think that's just it. You just keep trying and just don't give up. (laughs) Absolutely. Alyssa. I would say clear your mind and heart of any expectations or uh, preconceptions that you have about drinking or not drinking. And that's what I kind of had to do is just go in, commit to it, show up to the meetings, listen to the people who have time, listen to the people who've relapsed and listen to the people who are on the same stage as me, right? Just learning from everybody, taking the information in. I held on to what resonated with me at that time, what made sense to me. And I still listened to the stuff that didn't resonate. Like I said, like the affirmation, like, okay, you guys keep talking about it. It must mean something. And then all of a sudden, it must have been like two, three months in of hearing about it that it finally clicked maybe in my subconscious, right? So it it was something I didn't believe in at first, but now I do. And if you can go in with an open heart and an open mind and just be ready to embrace the journey, I think that you'll be surprised with what you can do with your life from there on out. Beautiful. That's really good. And beautiful. one more thing. Yeah. I think it's also important. I go back to day zero a lot. And I think a common theme on that board is a lot of shame and guilt. And I think it's important to let go of the shame and the guilt. Shame and guilt are two things that are going to do absolutely nothing to serve you or help you along. And there's no, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So I think that's important to point out. Absolutely. I think that's the number one thing that is the biggest thing for a relapse or somebody preventing to be in recovery. The number one thing is shame. That is what drops a person. And this is the neuroscience behind that. If I can shame myself, I give myself an excuse to drink. I drink because I am ashamed and I'm ashamed because I drink. It's a constant loop. If we can go out of that loop and say, let me do something different, even if you are in shame. Like the affirmations, like Alyssa was saying, just replacing those thoughts of like my repeat was, I'm a loser. I'm such a loser. I'm never going to get this. And replacing that shame with something different is really helpful. That, that That's incredible. Yeah. When I first came to the app, Some of you have seen my before pictures. I would constantly say I'm ugly. Constantly. That was my word. I am ugly. Alcohol was eating me alive physically and spiritually. And it was hard for me to look in the mirror and not think those things because they were so embedded. And me just holding myself tight and fortunately getting the right help and having the community to support me was so beneficial because now I wasn't being seen. It was very anonymous. And I was able to just write myself out my words and who I was and describe what I was going through. And then that also helped me release judgment. And, you know, everyone is worthy of, of just a sober life. Everyone is worthy of being loved. And everyone is worthy of loving themselves through it all. So I just, this is why we're doing this series. I think that this is, all of you ladies are so courageous for coming on here and 
I applaud each and every one of you. And I thank each and every one of you. Thank, thank you. And for sharing the word. I think it, it helps kind of break the stigma. Right. And I think it's because everyone thinks, well, if I have a problem with alcohol, I'm the one at fault. And that's not the case. It's addictive. And we're all heading down the same path. And the moment you pick up your first drink when you're 21, all the way down, it's we're all on the same slope. Some fall faster than others. But as long as you surround yourself with people who have your back and get it, you're unstoppable. Yeah. Any other last words, lady? Nope. We're good. All right. Thank you so much. And this concludes this series of Women and Sobriety.